cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry. I see other guys use sappy music. I, uh, bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, December 13th, 2011. You know, I never thought I'd say this on the air, but um, it's Tebow time. (laughs) That just sounds wrong. You know, last week I sent out a tweet that basically said, would it be gratuitous of me to consider myself or build myself as the... Tim Tebow of um, Christian Apologetics, and um, <laughs> James White said, "Yeah, only if you think that you know throwing airball incomplete passes is what you do." Anyway, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is. No shortage of crazy, silly things being said out there. As a result, we've got to do the discernment work. And this program does long-form discernment. I don't particularly want to do soundbite discernment. And, and many times, if, you listen, if you've listened for any length of time, you know that we review entire sermons. Or when somebody puts out a video that makes a theological claim, we review the whole thing. Um, what we're going to do today is we're going to do some long-form discernment and kind of tackle the question, not kind of, but we're really going to tackle the question, pun intended, um, regarding Tim Tebow and his faith. Well, how wh- how are we to view him? And the reason why I want to bring this up is because what I, I've noticed a pattern in the media as of late, and that is, is that uh, there's a cycle that is recurring every single week in the media, and uh, Tim Tebow has become a little bit of a lightning rod. And uh, this is a man who um, is experiencing some really great success out there in Denver, Colorado. The Broncos are doing much better than the Indianapolis Colts. And by the way, I need to make a point here. Um, I want everybody to know I'm not <laughs> – this is not – what I'm doing on today's program has nothing to do with the fact that I'm – grinding down Denver and Tim Tebow because the Indianapolis Colts have had a complete meltdown this year. Um, I've just given up watching Colts football. It's done. As far as I'm concerned, the season's over. It didn't ever begin. Anyway, but so I'm not doing this because I'm bitter about that. In fact, what I want to do is I want everybody to take a step back and let's analyze what Tim Tebow is saying uh, regarding his faith in Christ and just apply the same the same discernment that we would apply to anybody else, whether it's Rick Warren, uh, 
Bill Hybels, uh, William Swirla, it doesn't matter, uh, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley, and let's listen to what it is that this man is saying when he has an opportunity to talk about the Christian faith. Is he preaching and teaching the biblical gospel? Does he know the biblical gospel? Does he believe the biblical gospel? Does he confess it? Um, And when he has an opportunity to represent Christianity, does he do so by putting forth his own piety, his own uh, works righteousness, or does he placard Christ and him crucified for our sins? I think these are the questions that we need to be asking. Does this gentleman understand a proper distinction of law and gospel? What is the gospel that he believes? And so what I thought I would do today in order to tackle the question, you say again, I just have to use the pun, uh, was, uh, well, what I want to do is I'm going to basically back things up a little bit and take a look at what it is that the gospel that he believes is, and I'm going to do this via the preaching of his father. Um, His father's name, by the way, is Bob Tebow, and if you know uh, Tim Tebow's story, he Tim Tebow grew up in a missionary family. In fact, uh, I think it was Super Bowl last year. Uh, there was controversy because uh, there was a, a, an ad put out by Focus on the Family, a, a kind of a pro-life ad. Uh, and if you know Tim Tebow's uh, story, uh, when his mother was pregnant with him, um, yeah, she was out on the mission field and she she had a really really uh, terrible sickness, and the doctors had advised her to abort. Uh, the baby, and she didn't do it. Um, and I mean, literally, I mean, her life was hanging in the balance, not just, uh, you know, uh, Tim's, but her life was also hanging in the balance. And so she defied the advice of her, uh, of, of her doctors. And she uh, carried, uh, you know, Tim as far as, I don't know if it was full term or not, but uh, she was able to give birth to him and he turned out just fine. And so it, uh, you know, it created all kinds of controversy. So I mean, this is a man who's used to controversy. I mean, um, he he takes hits on and off the field. And I'm I'm actually not. I don't want to provide uh, in this edition of Fighting for the Faith. You know, you know, I'm not trying to sack the quarterback. Far from it. In fact, what I want everyone to do is take a step back, breathe a little bit, and listen, and compare. I think you're going to find some things that you can say amen to in Tim Tebow's uh, theology. And at the same time, you're going to hear some things that you're going to go, hmm, yeah, we need to coach him to clean that up. So uh, it's kind of a mixed bag. And so I think if we just take a sober, biblical, mature, not emotional uh, approach to listening then we're going to find some things that are really, really great. And we're going to find some things that are going to make us go, hmm. Okay? And so I'm going to take the approach that Aquila and Priscilla took with Apollos. And uh, that is is that Apollos was out there boldly preaching Christ. And he had some stuff in, you know, some doctrines that he didn't quite have ironed out right. They took him aside and said, listen, let, let us teach you the way of, of Christ more accurately, okay? And they did. So I think uh, so. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised, and at the same time you're going to go, you know, I think that makes sense, some sense. So that's my goal in today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I'm not even going to be, you know, it, this is not a Hail Mary pass at all. We're just going to do this play-by-play play and march it down the field. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know... 
you know, by the way, I am just not qualified to talk about football. I all I know is is that this kid can play the game. Anyway, all right. So what we're gonna do uh, today's edition of Fighting for the Faith is we're gonna do it backwards. We're gonna actually do the program backwards. I'm going to begin with the sermon review of a, a sermon preached by Bob Tivo uh, uh, back. This was September of last year at uh, Tim Tebow's church in Castle Rock, Colorado. And Bob Tebow had spent some time out on the mission field, and we're going to listen to his uh, gospel sermon. The name of the sermon itself is Salvation. So we're going to start there, and after we're done hearing what it is that the gospel that Bob Tebow preaches, we're going to work from the assumption that whatever it is that Bob Tebow believes regarding salvation in the gospel, it's more than likely the same for Tim, although you know this may not be true. We're just going to assume that this, you know, we're going to have to have some kind of a, you know, a starting point, and then we'll, and then we'll listen to some things regarding uh, what Tim has said when given an opportunity to represent the faith and preach the gospel himself to see how it squares with the gospel that Bob Tebow preaches, and uh, and you know, and then from there you'll have a, a much better understanding of what you know of Tim Tebow's faith, what he believes, teaches, and confesses. And uh, and uh, that way you can, you know, enjoy your football games and, you know, appropriately amen and praise God where God is to be praised and amen. Does that make any sense? So without any further ado, we're going to just dive right into our sermon review, first hour sermon review. I don't really get an opportunity to do this very often, but uh, that requires me to play our sermon review music. So here we go. good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the Summit Church, Castle Rock, Colorado. Uh, The gentleman preaching the sermon, missionary, Bob Tebow. The name of the sermon, Salvation. The text for the sermon is taken from Romans chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you're going to want to flip over there. Now, as you're listening for the sermon, I want you to listen for how does he handle God's law and what does he say the gospel is? What's the purpose of the law and how is it that we have a right standing before God? And those of you who are longtime listeners to Fighting for the Faith, then you already know what I think about this sermon based upon the music that I've picked to intro it. All right, let's kill the music. So without any further ado, here is Bob Tebow and his sermon entitled Salvation. Here we go. Gonna make my life about living for you. Gonna tell the whole world of all the things that you do. You're all Okay, now, I don't think Bob Tebow picked that music. I think that's just the standard stuff that goes along with this particular church, which we'll take a look at uh, when you know when we're done with the sermon review. Keep in mind, Bob Tebow lives in Florida, and uh, he's guest preaching at a church in Castle Rock, Colorado. 
just got back from Africa a couple Sundays ago, and actually, just I've been home like a week. Now, I think this is his uh, pastor Wayne Hansen uh, introing Bob Tebow. And uh, I, my life has been t- totally transformed. I told the church this last week, if you weren't here, I said I feel like I got an upgrade. I feel like I'm Wayne Hansen 2.0. My vision has been expanded. Going to Africa has completely just expanded my view. I said to one of the teenagers to put it in their language this week. I was like, I feel like I was wearing wearing like Ben Franklin spectacles looking at the world. And I went to a full-on virtual reality helmet. You know, I began to see the world the way God really sees it, I think. And, and uh, the, the Bible says that Jesus, that Christ is near to the poor. That there's something about the poor that God really uh, is moved by. And we as the church, part of our mandate is to look after the needs of the poor. And so, boy, I, can, I could tell you so much about that. But I guess if you want to see some of the highlights of that trip and some of the stuff they showed on the big screen last week. Uh- now, just so you know, we will take a look at the doctrinal statement of this church after this sermon. We continue. Uh, go to mysummitchurch.com and click missions, and, you, and then you'll be able to see a YouTube video of uh, the church that I preached in in Gojo and several of the, the projects that we're working on there in Ethiopia, a little all-pro dads message I did for the dads there in, in Ethiopia. And I, I'd just love for you to uh, just pray about missions. I just feel like God is moving on our heart more and more to, as a church that this is not about us. Our church is not about us. It's about him, and it's about reaching those who haven't been reached yet. It's about those people that aren't here yet. And so if you're under the delusion that this life is all about you, let me burst your bubble. It's not. Life is not about you. It's about the glory of God and about reaching other people. And so today we have, you have, a, we have a great uh, privilege of a guest speaker who's also missionary and very much uh, uh, tied to that heart of God for reaching people. And uh, many of you have heard that he's coming. I think that's why we have a few new faces here as well. Would you please give a warm welcome to Pastor Bob Tebow, everyone. Come on, Summit. You can do better than that. Come on. Good morning. Is my microphone working? Oh, good. I'm so glad to be here. I want to first uh, introduce to you my wife. Pam, would you stand up? And uh, we've been married over 39 years, and we're starting to figure it out a little bit. (laughs) And uh, then it's my two of my sons, Peter and Robbie. Boys, y'all stand up. That other boy couldn't be here today. He's doing something. Um... And my daughters are where they're supposed to be in their home with their husbands and other parts of the world with their kids. Uh, this is fun to be at a, a new church plant. Y'all are new in the scheme of things. We, we have been involved so many times in our married life in church plants and enjoy it. Um, on a technical note, is there a light that comes from the heavens and comes down to, to this spot right here? Um, I carry a big Bible. The big Bible doesn't make you more spiritual. Uh, what it has is bigger letters. And uh, so we don't have that light, huh? Oh, aren't you wonderful? That's a, that's a help. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited to be here, uh, not because you're a church plant. You know, it's interesting. This is a tradition I've never done, and 
and having a cross to stick a message to Jesus on over there. It's, I've never done that. And, uh, it's fun. New, new traditions are fun, uh, but uh, you can start a new tradition and, and then it can become such a tradition it becomes the main deal. We, what happened to the candles? We didn't do that again. We're, we're messed up because we didn't have candles one day. Uh, and then you'd have the, the church of the candles and the church of the not candles. And uh, uh, what I'd like to do uh, today in the message is, is talk about missions. Um, there is a tradition that we have that we cannot deviate from. We have... The church of Jesus Christ has deviated from it, and we're, we've missed a boat. We've missed the main deal uh, in terms of what Christianity is all about, what true Christianity is all about. Now listen to his point here. We've missed the boat about what true Christianity is all about. Okay, this sounds like this guy has some discernment. And that is the gospel, and that is missions. And part of the reason I think that we have missed it and the importance of it is we don't have the gospel right. Okay. This guy is singing my song. Sounds good so far. We are confused about what the message is. On the marketplace out there, just within Christendom, there are distorted messages about what the gospel is. Uh-huh. Uh, the Lord Jesus said that we, he, we were to go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, how many of you have finished that job? Uh, how many of you have been to one other nation to preach the gospel? Well, that's good. That's outstanding. That's better than the average. Um, not on a vacation to, you know... <laughs> scuba diving in the Cayman Islands. I'm not, that's not a mission trip. Uh, I'm talking about going somewhere to preach the gospel to people who have never heard it. You say, well, those people are in Colorado. Yes, there are those people in Colorado. But the access to the gospel in Colorado is much greater than it is in Africa. It's much greater than it is in, in uh, the Philippines or Bangladesh or Kazakhstan or so many other places uh, that we go that I've been uh, been to a lot of countries and and almost no countries that I've been to outside of America will you check into a hotel and see a Gideon's Bible uh, there's access to the gospel it's not as clear as we'd like it it is a Bible somebody can pick up that Bible and read John 316 and trust Christ and it's, it's great that, we, that Gideons do that. And that happens, that happens all, all too often. Not, not often enough, but it happens. And, uh, but we need to be more vocal than just sending out a Bible. That's, that's good. The whole idea is for us to speak the gospel. To use our mouth and speak the gospel. To go to the whole world. So far, really good. I completely agree. Now, we've got to listen carefully for how he defines the gospel. Let's continue. 
Why is that important? Well, let's take a look at Romans chapter 3 and see if we can, can understand from Romans chapter 3 why it's so important and, um, and what the gospel is. Uh, I want to start, I'm going to start in, uh, there, the, in verse 10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Uh, in this passage, in the next five verses, notice he's starting a discussion about the gospel with the bad news. There's none righteous, not even one. Well played. Below it, we have a description of mankind, universal, all men, everywhere. Uh, you say, it doesn't exactly sound like me. Yes, it does. It sounds like you. Uh, there is none righteous, not even one on the planet, not one. Uh, I can remember very vividly as a college student trying to wrestle with the exclusivity of the gospel when I say that phrase, exclusivity of the gospel, the idea that only Jesus can get you to heaven. That's what we believe. That only faith in Jesus Christ, only by his work, can we get to heaven. Only faith, only by his work. <laughs> uh-huh. This sounds like a guy who knows what the gospel is. Not only that, this is so far probably one of the clearest presentations of the gospel even to this point that i've ever heard preached in a church that is attractional seeker driven we'll talk about uh, tebow's church uh, a little later in the program but uh, bob here missionary and pastor he's starting off with the bad news and the universal declaration that we're all dead in trespasses and sins we're all sinners and the exclusivity of christ and faith and trust in him for salvation. Huh. Boy, this is refreshing, isn't it? The gospel is exclusive. That means everybody, everywhere, needs the gospel. That only Jesus saves, and if you don't know Jesus Christ, then you're going to hell. And if you have not heard doesn't sound like somebody like Rob Bell. The message, you're going to hell. And that doesn't seem very fair to um, a lot of people. And I remember as a college student wrestling with that idea, trying to, uh, I was also a new believer, and trying to put that together in my mind. Couldn't I go somewhere to Africa and find someone that's never sinned? Couldn't I go somewhere, wouldn't there the 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 laws of probability, wouldn't there be one person out there somewhere that had not sinned? I thought about that. The laws of probability uh, set aside or brought into play. Either way, there aren't, it, that person doesn't exist. The laws of probability are 100% that everyone on the planet is a sinner. That's a fact because of the laws of probability. Because everybody came from Adam, and all of our genetics came down from Adam, and every single one of us are actually in the same family. 
We may not like all our family members, but we're all in the human race, in the same family. And uh, you like that, huh? Yeah. Our extended family has, uh, has some strange ones in it. But uh, we all share the same genetics and the genetics of sin. And so in God's view, God says there's not one of us that's righteous. Um, they, we, none of us understand. We don't seek God. We're useless to God. Think about that from God's perspective. God put you here, put every person, all six billion people on the planet here for his good, for his usefulness. You are a person with a personality. That makes you a person. That's where we get those, those two, two words go together. You get to think on your own. God gave you creativity and a mind and will and choice and all these things that make you different than a banana tree. You get to do things, and, and God said, I put you here to be useful to me. And God says, his evaluation is, you're useless. Okay, now this little point here is a point that I'm not exactly familiar with. You're useless. Okay, I would assume that this has something to do uh, because it's falling into the context of the effects of our sinfulness and our rebellion against God that somehow the gospel then makes us usable. Okay, now I keep that tucked away in your head. We'll have to pull on this one a little bit later in the program, but I think it's an important point just to make a note of it. Let's continue. It's a wasted effort by God to have put you here. Now, you're not wasted, but there needs to be something that takes place to make you useful. And uh, he goes on from describing man, and he, he, he describes two parts of man that summarize the whole of man, his speech and his walk. And in 13, verse 13, he says, Their throat is an open grave with their tongues. They keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips. With their mouth, they're full of cursing and bitterness. All right, here's the, the verses. In, in all of these verses from verse 10 through 18 are in Hebrew poetry and in parallelisms. And he is saying that here, here we are in, in our speech we leave behind us a trail of misery. We kill people with our words, not literally kill them, but we hurt people. We leave destruction with our words. You know how true that is. Even, in, even with the people that we love the most, we can say the hardest things and the meanest things and, and hurt people. And, and think about the things that you haven't said out loud, but you'd said under your... Un, under wherever that's under <laughs> your breath yeah the breath that's it that's the word i was trying to find those words boy if we heard all those words to go with the ones we did here how much worse this world would be and then there's the ones we just thought and we didn't even get under our breath and and uh that's why he says the poison of asp is under their lips these are, these are words that man has. Every person on the planet has engaged in this activity, killing words. And then verse 14, he, he goes on and he, uh, or 15, he says, now he talks about our activities, our deeds, words and deeds. 
Their feet are swift to shed blood. The destruction, of, the destruction and misery are in their paths. The path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so he talks about our, our, our deeds in a general way. And he said, we leave behind us a trail, a trail of hurt people, wrong actions. Now, this whole context, and for lack of time, we don't get to go back and start in verse 1 and, and develop the whole idea here that he's got, that he's got going on. But it's a contrast between works and performance. That's the bottom line of this whole chapter. And I encourage you to read it uh, more later. Read it over and over and over again. So he's now he's going to... He's described the sinful condition of man. That is an absolute truth about man. All men everywhere. So it means the exclusivity of the gospel is paramount because no man can get to God on his own. And he's going to make that very clear in verse 19 and 20. Let's read that. He says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may be, be become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now, when he says the law, what's he talking about? He's talking about not just the Ten Commandments, but the law in this context would refer to the first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that give us the moral code of the, that God gave the Jewish people to, that they lived under, and that they had not to become a believer in God. That was still by faith in God. But to have, a, to have a walking relationship with God. And it was a laborious thing. All of the laws. And it put man on a performance basis. Now, there are many people out there today that would say that we're on a performance basis with God. The law. What are we thinking about? We're thinking about do's and don'ts. Rules. Uh, and that whole system of performance, if you do these things and don't do these things, you'll be acceptable to God. That system is flawed. It cannot work. It does not work. It will not work. What does the law bring about? In, in verse 19 it says, um, it's that every mouth may be closed. The law brings about one thing it brings about is it just closes your mouth. Why? Because here's what happens. It's the straight edge of the law that shows us how crooked we are. The law, the rules that God gave, are, is a very straight edge. So the law shows us how crooked we are. Yep. There can be no deviation from those things. Have we deviated? Yeah. I mean, you just take, um, do not covet your neighbor's Porsche. <laughs> We've all deviated from that already. That's a straight edge. Not once in your entire life are you supposed to covet your neighbor's house or anything that he has. It's a straight edge. It's perfectly straight. What does it show you? It shows you how crooked you are. So the result of, of that is 
condemnation. The result of the law is condemnation, and it is uh, uh, it shuts our mouth. And the other thing that the law does is it pries up more sin. It shows us our sin, and it pries up more sin. It acts as a fulcrum. Uh, now, this is a point that I rarely hear preached on, but he's spot on here. You preach a constant law, you're going to be preaching people into sin. Watch this. If I were to go out front where all those nice glass windows are and put up a sign, there are signs there that say Summit Church, and that's good advertising everybody to find this place. But if I wrote a new sign and said, do not throw rocks through this window, how long would that window last? Not long in Florida. And not long in Colorado. Now, none of you were thinking about breaking that window up till now. But now the thought has come in everybody's mind. Hmm. And we, we're right back to seven years old, aren't we? We're ready to take that rock and throw it right through that window, even though I'm 62 years old. Why, what happens is in our sinful nature, and this is universal, worldwide, everywhere, the law pries out sin. Do, how many of you have seen the sign, do not walk on the grass? And you just want to do that. It doesn't matter. We've all done that. It's just the law and it, how we react to it. Now, um, that's why the, the summary in verse 20, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. The word justified is the same word as righteous. Same idea. Same. No one will be righteous before God by keeping the law. No one. That means that there's no possibility of you performing in such a way that God says, I like it. I like it. Come on. You, you can be one of mine because you perform so good. Zero possibility because you have already have a debt of sin. Everything that we've looked at and more that we could talk about but won't for time... We could talk all about our sin, and, and there's so much, there's no possibility. You see, what's in the mind of some of you right now, and it's, it's always in the mind of, of everybody at one time or another, because this is the, we live on a performance basis with everybody else around us. That's what we do. Even in our marriages, you, you don't perform good for a few days and hear, you'll hear about it. There's, there's a certain amount of performance that goes... It, that's what your job's all about. That's what you do in school. You've got to perform everywhere. Everything in this world has got some performance attached to it. Except the gospel. So what we have in our minds because of, our, of the, the way we've lived all our life is we think God has a scale. If I have more good things than bad things, I'll go to heaven. If I have more bad things, if I light enough candles... Uh, uh, if I have more bad things than good things, I'll go to hell. It's, there, that's not the way it is. It's the righteousness 
It's righteousness. It's the righteousness of God, the absolute straight edge of God that's the measuring stick, not a relative scale. That's why the gospel becomes so phenomenal. And that's why it becomes so appealing when explained anywhere in the world to anybody of any background whatsoever. <laughs> oh, this guy is singing my tune. This is great stuff. Okay, so he's making it possible for us to understand just how great the good news is. And the way he's doing it is letting us know just how bad the bad news is and letting us know that if you think you're going to make it in by your performance and your keeping of the law, you got another thing coming. <laughs> nice. Look in verse 21. Now, apart from the law... The righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So important what he says. Apart, without the law, set apart. Here's the law. Here's the whole performance deal. And apart from it, absolutely separated from it, now we're talking about justification by faith. Look what he says. The righteousness of God has been manifested. He says, even the, here's the righteousness that he's talking about. God is righteous in giving us the law. That was righteousness. God is righteous in heaven. He always does everything right. That's what God does. He, it's who he is. We don't always do everything right. He always does everything right. But his standard applies to us and to everything in his creation. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe, for there is no distinction... That idea of no distinction is so very important. What's the next? This The next verse is your Bible memory verse. You know it? Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and sh fall short of the glory of God. There's no distinction in justification by faith. Just like there's no distinction in the sinfulness of men all everywhere. Everybody. That's so important if we're thinking about not being on a performance basis. If we were on a performance basis, kind of like we are at, at the... Uh, you remember in, in, when you were eight years old and you went to the ballpark and you, you were going to get pick teams and you picked the two best guys and, and, and they're going to be the captains because we've got to make it even, right? And so, you know, one guy's going, all right, I want that one. And then this guy's going, okay, I want him. And everybody's looking at everybody else. What if God... That's distinctions, isn't it? That's making a distinction. You look fast. I want you on my team. Okay. You're ugly. I don't want you on my team. Remember how bad it would be to be the last person chosen? Anybody ever fall into that distinction? Now here's with God, there is no distinction. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit aren't up there picking teams. You know, going... I like that one. He looks good. And God the Son saying, yeah, but she's done a few good things. And God the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, but, you know, I don't know. Uh, and Now notice he's saying here that when, you know, in, in God's election, it's not based on anything good inside of you. Uh-huh. Picking teams like that based on your performance? Where would, that, where would we all be if God was picking teams on performance? None would get picked. 
There is none righteous, not even one. That's why his system says it's not performance. It is not associated with performance. And he's going to explain it in verse 24 and 5. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. There it is. God's saying, I'm going to justify you. I am going to declare you righteous as a gift. (laughs) Amen. God is going to declare you righteous as a gift. Ah. You know, the gospel is so amazing that it is refreshing to the soul, even if the person delivering it isn't the most dynamic preacher in the world. It's not based upon dynamism or speaking ability. The message here, notice, I mean, Bob Tebow just sounds like a humble, ordinary guy. This is somebody who's just your average Joe. He's not the greatest order in the world. He doesn't have a band behind him. But right now, the thing that's carrying this message is the content. And the content is an exegetical, biblical preaching from Romans chapter 3. And he just declared that we're all righteous if we're in Christ as a gift, declared righteous as a gift by grace through faith. Is that the gospel? (laughs) You bet your bippy it is. Let's continue. Free. Free. What God says, what I have for you is an absolutely free gift. By my grace, It's not the product of your works, it's the product of my grace. What is grace? The unmerited favor of God. It's God doing something for you that you could never do for yourself. It's God giving you something you could never make, earn, or or produce. It's It's God's gift for you for free. God says, I'm going to justify you by faith in Jesus Christ alone. I'm going to think about it another way. If we were to look at all of our sin, and we've talked about every, if we talked about every word, every thought, every deed, and we made a long list of, of all our sins, it'd be more than this, wouldn't it? It'd be volumes. But we wrote it all out. That would be a condemnation. That's what's in, in what is referred to in Colossians. And God took this and he nailed it to the cross. And then he comes along when you put your faith in Christ and he declares you righteous. So he writes on the very same record of your sins. He writes over the top of it in red blood, the blood of Christ, righteous. It's not the deeds you've done in righteousness. It's the blood of Christ writing on your record, righteous. It's declared to you. It's freely given to you. You can't earn it. That's why. It's apart from the performance. Forget that. Forget that performance thing. That's what he's saying in verse 20. Apart from it. It's God saying, I got a gift for you. It's free. Look what he says, 
through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, the buyback program. God says in verse in the verse 17 there, you are useless to him. You are useless. What does he say? I got a buyback program. I'm going to make him useful. I got a buyback program. Any, any of y'all old enough? Okay, listen again. Okay, I just want to make a mark here. Again, mentally. Buyback program, I'm going to make them useful. Now, this is a part of this that I'm that I think is not a valid teaching in the text. This is something that he's sticking in here, which will explain something later in Tebow's uh, gospel that he uh, delivers. But so it just, I just want to make a note of it. This is something that we, I just going, Ooh, that's a little bit weird, but everything else so far, really good. To remember green stamps, only about six of you. You know, it, you remember the real, the, we'd call it a redemption store. Wasn't that, wasn't that cool? You could go in there with the, all this stuff. You know, they don't know, but everybody, almost everybody here doesn't know what that redemption store was. You're, you're too young. But you do get your airline miles and your credit card points, don't you? Everybody gets your credit card points, and then finally you redeem those miles, and you make a flight to the Cayman Islands, and you go scuba diving on your mission trip. <laughs> we know about that kind of, that kind of uh, earning points. Now, here's, here's the buyback program that Jesus pulled off on the cross. Look what he says here. Through Jesus Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Jesus Christ went to the cross, the God-man without sin, so he could die for us. And God took every word, every thought, every action that we had written, had nailed that thing to the cross. I mean, literally, that's what Colossians says. He took all those certificates of arrest warrant the arrest warrants that were out for all of us and he nailed them to the cross and what did jesus do on the cross great way to picture it the arrest warrants that were out for us <laughs> by the way you know if you're familiar with uh, jewish history um walter meyer one of the things he talks about is i think it's in one of the talmuds that the arrest warrant for jesus is actually in one of the talmuds and uh, which is important. I, I just want to tie that in because Jesus Christ, he was put on trial and he was found guilty. You're thinking, but he didn't sin. Right. But he was bearing and carrying your sin. So Jesus was arrested, put on trial and put to death in your place, which is important because another point that he's about to make is one that a lot of people miss, but this guy gets it straight in his theology. Let's continue. He died. What was the penalty for sin? Death. In the day you sin, you will surely die. What did he do there? He died. Not for himself. He died for us. And, he, and his blood poured out. And what did he say at the end? Very critical that he said these words, that they wrote them down, and God made no mistake about having it written down. He said, it is finished that's the greatest statement in human history 
He had completely paid for every sin, every bad word, every bad action, every bad thought, all of it. And so what does he, Paul say at this point about God looking at that action? He calls it publicly as a propitiation in his blood, as the blood was poured out. When was the last time you heard a guy straight up preach about propitiation? This is really good. As death oozed out of him, as he died on the cross, and he said, it is finished, and he died. What did God in heaven, what did God the Father in heaven say? He said, I am satisfied. That's what the word propitiation means. It means satisfied. The right, what, what is in view is the righteousness of God being poured out on man. It should be poured out on you and me individually. And one day it will be poured out ultimately in the lake of fire for all those who don't know Christ. So here's the deal. If he died for me and God the Father looks down at the, at the cross and, he, and he's looking, he's thinking the wrath of God has been poured out on my son in your place, in your place, in your place. And God says, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. The debt's completely His justice has been satisfied for sure. Completely paid. There's... There, You have no idea how great that is. There is not one thing you have to do to satisfy God. <laughs> how about that? That's amazing. And I couldn't say amen strongly enough. You don't have, you, you know, in our human relationships, we just don't have any relationships that are, that are quite like that. In our, in our homes, we try to move our homes that way where we're on a non-performance basis with one another, where we love each other with unconditional love. We're trying to do that. We haven't got there yet, have we? No, we haven't got there yet. And so you can, you can always, with somebody that you work with or know, or whatever, you can always sense that feeling they're not satisfied with me. Isn't that a terrible feeling when you realize they aren't happy with your performance? God doesn't feel that way. You say, well, you don't have any idea how bad I've sinned. I really don't care. I don't want to know, and I don't need to know, and it doesn't matter. You remember one of my favorite gospel stories in, in Luke is about the woman who comes in at the Pharisee's house, and she starts She's at the feet of Jesus. He's eating at table, and she, she's crying and weeping. She wipes his feet with her tears and pours perform, perfume on his feet. And, and Jesus, the whole story is about not just forgiving that lady, but about rebuking the Pharisee, which we won't go into. But w w Jesus' statement in that story is, Simon, this woman whose sins are many are forgiven. And he says to her, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has, it's not, this woman is as bad as you can get. Bad as anybody here. As bad as everybody here. Amen. There is no distinction. That's the whole point we're trying to get away from. There is no distinction. 
It's not God going do 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 any money uh, you know. It is God saying, I have covered every one of you with the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, and I am totally satisfied, and no matter what you did, I can forgive you. All of it. There's not, it's not a little bit. It's not, we'll get a package today and a package tomorrow. It's not FedEx. It's all in one. It's for free. He says that the demonstration of the righteousness, this is in verse 25, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Real fast, what that means is because he passed over sins from Adam to the cross, he judged all sin from Adam to the end of the world at the cross, then God was justified in in condemning sin and be, through the same act he justifies you if if there was one sin in the universe that god does not judge one wrong that he does not judge then god would not be a just god he did it at the cross he will follow that up with the great white throne there's more judgment that's going to be taking place in this world god is a just god but for God to forgive your sins, he has to be a just God. This is the point. Absolutely right. Now, in the church that I attend, we talk about how God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does that sound familiar? It should. It's from the God, uh, first epistle of John. What does it say? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth of God is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because Jesus has been justly punished for your sins and for mine, now it is just for God to forgive us. Rarely, rarely do you hear somebody understanding all of these implications of the gospel and for it to be coming forth so clearly in a sermon. This is fantastic. God cannot arbitrarily say as some Hindu God, oh, I forgive you, on an arbitrary basis. That's why there's no forgiveness anywhere else on the planet in any other person or name or any belief system other than Jesus Christ. It's the only place you can find forgiveness of sins. Because only he paid for it, judged your sin, and judged it on him. And then because of that buyback program, God is justified in giving you righteousness. Yeah, God is just in giving you righteousness. Right, as a gift, because it was all poured, his wrath was all poured out on Christ. His justice was satisfied by Christ. This is really good. Now, just if you're tuning in late, we're listening to a sermon by Bob Tebow, Tim Tebow's father, who is a pastor and a missionary. And we're examining what is the gospel that Tim Tebow believes, teaches, and confesses. And we're starting with his parents. Tim Tebow's a young man, and he grew up in a missionary family. Here's the assumption. This is the gospel that he heard his father preach. 
Okay. What do you think so far? It's a righteous declaration to, to give righteousness away. The word justified is the same word, righteous. And he says here, well, where is boasting? Verse 27. Oh, it's excluded. Who gets to boast? If there's no distinction, none of us can say, oh, he picked me first. Right? Okay, there's no distinction in the sins. We've all got them. There's no distinction in grace. It's for free for everyone. No distinction in, in justification by faith. It's free for everyone. The gift is free for everyone. So who gets to boast? We don't. There's no boasting. No bragging about it. It's excluded. By what kind of law? By works? Now, if you could, if you could work your way even part way there, you could boast about it. God says no. It's the law of faith. It is notice that. So if you can work your way, you could even in partly you can boast about it. This, keep those words in mind. I might bring them back up again. If you could work your way there, even part way there, then you have something to boast about. It's the law of faith. For we maintain this is the strongest verse in the New Testament, I think, right here, verse twenty eight, about this issue. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. If there's one thing that's emphasized in this in this passage, it is that it is not by the performance system, it's by faith. If you read from verse twenty one to thirty one, nine times he uses the word faith, believe. What is the emphasis? If that, by way of just statistical, numerical uh, uh, counting, you'd say the emphasis is on faith. How do you get to God? By faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. For free. There's nothing else you have to do. Well, that is good news. If you explain, if you can explain that, just it's a simple message. Jesus died for you, and He wants to give you the free gift of. If eternal life, he wants to freely forgive all your sins. Why? Because he loves you. There's a boatload of people out in this world, Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, you name it. They're of any kind that want to hear it. That's the best news on the planet. There's nothing like it. I was preaching one day in India, and, uh, of course, nobody... Well, there was Christians. They were all non-Christians, obviously. And I, I preached in this market, uh, this outdoor market. Just to, I stood up. I had a translator, and I stood up and I said, "Hey, my name's Bob Tebow, an American. Come here. I have some good news for you." And everybody just there was a, immediately there was a hundred men dressed in white robes around me. No women. They were all in the distance. And uh, so I shared John three sixteen and talked about eternal life and. And uh, I preached the gospel, and I said, well, how many of you right now would like to trust Christ and have the free gift of eternal life? And one young man right in front of me, I mean, the front row is right here on my arm. They're that close. They wanted to hear everything I had to say. And uh, this young man raised his hand. So he and I prayed and some others, and and uh, he went off. I preached three more times, and and then I was about to preach the fourth time, when this guy, in the, this Brahmin in a gray shirt came up and he was, the, the, in Hinduism, the Brahmins are the top caste. And he was hollering at me. 
and the people and saying, we need to get rid of this American. Uh, he was doing all this in, in uh, tongues. And uh, he said, uh, we've got our own religion. We don't need this white man's religion. We got rid of the British. We need to get rid of this American. And then this old man in the back who had not become a believer walked up, had an orange turban on his head, and he said, they, they, they're, they're nose to nose, right like this, just shouting at each other. And my, my friend says, it's time for us to go. And so they, we leave, and he, I said, what's going on? He said, well, the old guy wants, the, the, uh, the Brahmin wants to kill you, but the old man said, you Brahmins have been coming here all these years with your message. And uh, it's a no good message. But this man comes to tell us that we can have eternal life in Christ if we want it. And it's the first time we've ever heard a good message. And uh, um, it's, in, it's interesting to me that somebody who's not a Christian, who's in an, in an absolute works system, if you're in Hinduism, it's an absolute works nightmare. The same as... Islam, the same as Buddhism, the same, all, just all work systems. The work system is absolutely horrible. And this old man could recognize that we've got a better message. Some of us don't know how priceless our message is. I remember not long ago, um, my wife was speaking at, a, at an event, and somebody came up and told her about... Uh, getting a phone call. Their, their daughter had cancer in the hospital. And uh, Timmy had gone to, to the hospital and visited her. And she uh, was getting really bad. The cancer was getting bad. And he, uh, she said, could I talk to Tim Tebow again? And they tried to call. They got him on the phone. And Tim said to her, are you ready to meet God? And she said, no. And so he went with her through the gospel, and they prayed, and she trusted Christ. And a half an hour later, she died. Okay, that's important. Tim Tebow talks to a girl who's about to die 30 minutes from meeting her maker. And he tells her to trust Christ for the forgiveness of her sins. This is important data. We continue. Is she going to get there because of works? No. There's no, no possibility. But faith in Christ, that's all needed. What is faith? Just trust. Trusting God. God says, this is what I've done for you. Just trust me. After Jesus rose from the dead, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Right now, he wants to come and live in you, give you the free gift of eternal life, forgive your sins. So I'm going, to fi I'm going to finish with prayer. And if you have never trusted Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to pray along with me silently where you are. Okay, now, sappy music. I think that has to do with the venue. And uh, I'm not going to play the, uh, the, the prayer, but, I mean, you get the gist of what's going on here. So now the question w would come up. I mean, if I were to sit down and have a theological conversation with Bob Tebow. One of the questions I would ask him is, since he feels compelled to close the deal by having people pray a prayer, 
asking Christ for forgiveness, asking them into their heart, which, by the way, the scriptures never talk about asking Jesus into your heart. It's kind of a a modern day thing that's that's a tradition, if you would, that's crept into the church. Um, you know, I would I, I would ask clarifying questions along the lines of when somebody prays and asks Jesus to forgive them of their sins. Are do you consider that to be a good work that they're doing? Because earlier in the sermon, you had asked the question. Uh, you know, you made the point that uh, that we're not saved by any good work that we can do, not even one, you know, because then it would be something that we did. Because I think that's an important clarifying question. And I think the answer, based on the theology that I heard in the sermon, is is that he wouldn't considering he wouldn't consider faith and trust in Christ as a work to be done. OK, um, so I think that's a good clarifying question and uh, and other things. But. Uh, you kind of get where we're going with this. And then I would probably ask him questions along the lines to figure out just how dead we are in trespasses and sins. Is he a closet Pelagian, a semi-Pelagian, an Arminian? What, where is he in the spectrum of things here? And that being said, I think it's important to note that there's a lot of people who are into decision theology who believe that making a decision for Jesus or asking him into your heart is the one good work that's necessary to be saved. And so there's a lot of people who use this kind of language who I think are theologically confused, which reminds me that on tomorrow's edition of Fighting for the Faith, uh, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's going to uh, at least address this issue in part uh, in his uh, commentary, uh, lecture on uh, Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians. In fact, here's a snippet from uh, what Dr. Rosenblatt is going to talk about on tomorrow's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Does the decision part of decision theology constitute a work? Sure. Very I don't, simple. I think most evangelicals don't oh, yes. get that. I tell evangelicals that they're overlapping Rome in a lot of places, and they don't believe me because they have tracts against the Pope in their churches. And I'll say, well, that's fine, but your theology amazingly overlaps with them when it comes to the tough questions. You'd be made. You would have been against us <clears throat> who were confessionally Lutheran or Reformed. If you'd lived in the 16th century, you would have been on the other side. Now, that'll be on tomorrow's edition of Fighting for the Faith. But coming back to the sermon that we just listened to, it's clear that there's some sloppy theology in here. However, that still being the case, did you hear God's law preached to you? Was it clear after hearing that sermon that you are dead in trespasses and sins and a rotten sinner? Um, yeah, pretty clear. Was it clearly preached that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone and not by works? Yep, it was. And Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Did you hear the word of Christ? Did you hear the biblical gospel? Yes, you did. So I'm going to make an assumption. Now, sometimes assuming isn't a good thing to do, but I'm going to make an assumption. And I'm going to assume that this law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, about the justice of God, God's wrath being propitiated, all of that 
would have been what Tim Tebow would have heard himself growing up. That's what I'm going to assume. Okay? So, that being the case, I would I would argue that Tim Tebow growing up, this is the gospel he's believed throughout his life. Okay? That is important because if we're going to do long-form discernment, we got we got to get as much data into the system. What's it that's being preached and believed, okay? I think that's important. So what we're going to do right now, uh, we're going to take our first break. And uh, we've got to pay some bills. Takes our first break. And now, then when we come back, we're going to look a little bit about what's being said in the media. Look at some of the sound bites that are being played by some media outlets. Take a look at an article that was put out you know, in response to something that Tim Tebow's current pastor said. Listen to a little bit of Tim Tebow, and I'm going to probably end up reading something, a, a transcript. For, I had to transcribe uh, a gospel presentation that Tim Tebow gave to a group of prisoners. And we're going to have to ask the question, is what we're hearing from Tim Tebow the same gospel that his father just preached in September of last year? Which I think is a fair question. Or is there some kind of deviation? Is there some kind of mixing going on? Is there something else being added? Which I think is an important question to be asking. So if you would like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Welcome to Build-A-God. How can I help you? Hello. I received a Build-A-God certificate for my birthday, so I'm here to build my own deity. Oh, this has got to be so exciting for you. Oh, it really is. Okay, let's get started. The first thing we have to do is determine whether your god is male, female, or unisex. Men are pigs anyway. She has to be female. Great choice. Now we have to select some of the attributes of your goddess. What do you provide? Do you want her to be kind, loving, compassionate, just, angry, righteous, wrathful? The goddess I believe in would only be loving and kind. Perfect. Now is there any kind of sin that needs tending to by your goddess? Sin? 
you know, things like lying, cheating, stealing, murder, homosexuality. Well, I definitely want my goddess to be gay affirming, and sin itself just feels so negative. I'm a good person, and I think my goddess will think everyone else is too. Oh, wonderful! Your goddess is coming along beautifully! Now we have to get to the difficult questions. Does your goddess offer an afterlife? Yes! My goddess would let everyone go to heaven. Except for Hitler, Genghis Khan, and good-for-nothing ex-boyfriend. Oh, excellent! Excellent! Now for the final step. You have to name your goddess. Hmm... I think I'm going to name her Jesus. Oh, wonderful! That's what everyone names their god! your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We're back. Warning, if you think you can mix any of your works to God's grace in order to save yourself, you can't. That's not the gospel. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us financially. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, what you're doing is signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 on a monthly basis to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And if you'd like to specify the the amount that you would like to contribute. You can do so by clicking on the donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Now, what we're going to be doing in the month of December as a way of saying thank you to all of our crew members and anybody who contributes any amount to Fighting for the Faith, we will be sending out a link so that you can download the Pirate Christian Radio Edition of uh, uh, CFW Walther's The Proper Distinction of Law and Gospel. We spent the last few months uh, basically taking a 1920s translation, updating the language, getting all, you know, using a modern translation, and and this thing, I I, I you know, I own a couple of copies of uh, Walther's, a uh, couple different editions of Walther's uh, Proper Distinction of Law and Gospel. And I got to tell you, this is the easiest 
reading version uh, that I've ever uh, worked with. And uh, and so, you know, and I'm not trying to be biased here. I think you'll find the same thing, too. And so that's going to be our gift, our way of saying thank you to everybody who's helped support uh, Fighting for the Faith in the month of December. So, um, yeah, as we approach the year end, uh, keep that in mind. And it's, and it's a Kindle edition. It's a Kindle or ebook edition that you can read on a... Uh, either your Kindle, your Nook, uh, your iPad, uh, your iPhone, uh, your uh, Android, you know, whichever, you know, even on your laptop, if you, you know, whatever your preference is for your ebook reading. So that's going to be our gift to you. All right. Now, today's again, we're dealing with a singular topic, and that is the topic of uh, Tim Tebow, uh, the. Uh, <laughs> The uh, guy who seems to, whatever reason, be a target at the moment. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a segment from uh, Sean Hannity's program where he's talking about those who are targeting Tebow. And I just want you to listen to this segment from Fox News where Hannity discusses the topic. And I'm going to read maybe one or two different articles Regarding Tebow, uh, one from Molly Ziegler Hemingway uh, from GetReligion.org, and another from the New York Times. But you know, just to kind of yeah, at least wrap our minds around how this particular media cycle is playing out. You've heard already what it is that uh, the gospel that he was taught as a kid uh, from his missionary father, which I think best informs us what it is that uh, what is it he really believes, teaches, and confesses regarding sin and Christ and what he's done for us. I think it would be safe to say that Tim Tebow and his father are uh you know are very similar or alike in their theological beliefs although that may not be the case but you know we're going to work with that assumption at the moment because as I li- as I've listened to Tim Tebow in a couple of different places I've heard that theology from him and I've heard something else mixed in but we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. Let's first lay a little bit of groundwork about, you know, what is this particular media phenomenon regarding Tim Tebow and his um, and his faith? Well, Sean Hannity, you know, interviewed a couple people regarding that. So let's listen in and let's let Sean Hannity lay this out for us. All right, his faith may be the subject of controversy both on and off the field, but Denver Broncos quarterback Tim Tebow certainly isn't letting the commotion affect his game. On Sunday, he led his team to their sixth straight win, but despite his respectful demeanor and his undeniable success on the field, many seem to be offended by his outspoken views on religion and God. Now, last spring, Tebow told me how he was ready to embrace the role of being a Christian in the spotlight Here's what he said. I'm blessed with a platform, and I believe more than just a platform, it's a responsibility and obligation to be a great role model, to set a great example, because it's one thing to score touchdowns and win trophies and championships, but at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. Tebow has said that he wants to use his football career as a platform to set a good example. That's fine and good. And what I would caution him about is that the Apostle Paul, when he was admonishing young Pastor Timothy in First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, he said this, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Other translations talk about guarding your doctrine and your life, your life and your doctrine. And so if he's going to set a good example, if he's going to put himself in a position where 
everybody knows that he's a Christian. He, it's not enough to just guard your life and to set a good example in good works. Uh, as Paul points out to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself, your life, and on your teaching and on your on your doctrine. That would that would be my admonition to uh, Tim Tebow right there. So, but let, let's continue. Athletes may be out partying with women, drinking, doing drugs. Tebow explained his secret for resisting those temptations. I think uh, the number one way that you handle that is, is obviously by having a strong faith and relying on that and staying in the Word, but also by having a great support staff around you, by having friends that keep you accountable. Joining me with Reaction, Fox News contributor Rich Lowry, the author of the book The Tebow Mystique, man- managing editor of Patheos.com, Pat and Dodd. Guys, good to see you. What do you think? Hey, Sean. Well, it's just amazing, but he's become a cultural lightning rod for a couple of reasons, I think. One is all the experts said he was going to fail because of his playing style. So you have a lot of people who just resent the fact that he's being successful with his right. un- unorthodox playing style. And there's some people who just don't like the overt religiosity. And there are some people, I believe, who just don't like the fact that he's so darn earnest, so sincere, and so good. Part of us really prefers flawed heroes to someone like Tim, Tim Tebow. Yeah, I mean, Patton, I guess maybe the thing is, um, and I spent a little t- Yeah, I want to kind of piggyback on that point. I think this is the thing that, that makes this situation tenuous, at least somewhat well dangerous. And here's the reason why, is because American media has a really, really long track record of taking our heroes and just tearing them down so here we've got a squeaky clean guy and he's running counter to just however american culture works now i'm not sure how this works out in your neck of the woods if you're not living in the united states but american heroes right now are anti-heroes um you know we don't have the john wayne types anymore we have guys who for whatever reason, they're, they're addicted drug users, uh, womanizers, who also happen to save the world. And so Tebow just doesn't fit this mold. That being the case, though, the danger lies in the fact that Tebow, just like me, just like you, just like everybody else on the planet, as his father pointed out, is a sinner. Okay, So he's going to be held under a microscope like you wouldn't believe in if he even remotely gives into a sin that uh that could really you know make him look bad and the media gets wind of it and can um splash it again uh, on the ta- front of the tabloids the inquirer and other you know people magazine and things like that believe me when i tell you at this point they've already got him targeted and they are going to be closely watching this kid's life and if he even so much as puts a toe out of line um, you know, morally, ethically, or does anything that looks w- weirdish, they are going to pounce like hungry lions. A little time with him. I got to know. I really liked him. And, you know, as a Jets fan, I've been pulling for him because I'm sick and tired of the criticism of the guy. And it's like I've been following this closely, and I'm just amazed at how well he's done. And he's a, in real life, he is a great guy. Well, you know, what is it? We have to have role models that, you know, are, are out with celebrity girls, a different one every night, and drinking and partying and doing drugs and getting tattoos. You know, who do we want to Athletes are role models, whether we want to admit it or not. Well, I agree with Rich. I, I don't think we know how to trust a character like Tim Tebow. I, I think that, you know, at one level... We don't. That's the thing. 
The media doesn't trust him, and they're looking for anything to skewer him. Well, I kind of get the skepticism. We've been we've been burned before by these uh, public figures who proclaim their faith and then turn out to be more interested in their own, you know, personal power than they are in real piety. But right, and keep in mind, remember the point that his father made in the sermon that uh, you know, focusing on the law basically awakens your sinful nature. If you saw a sign on a wind that says "Don't throw rocks at the glass," guess what you're going to do. So uh, this is the danger he's in. That's exactly the point with Tim Tebow. I don't think that's true of him. This is a guy who for years now has been cultivating and articulating a kind of Christianity that expresses itself through serving others, through taking care of the poor and the needy, mm -hmm. through you know, speaking in prisons and uh, through strong leadership. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, I think that is how he understands his faith, how he expresses it. Yeah. And I think it's genuine down to his core. You know, one of the things that's impressed me about a lot of professional athletes, you watch a game on Sunday, and at the end yeah. of the game, you often see guys from both teams get in a circle and pray together. Yeah, you know, well, that's one reason it's a little unusual that Tebow is so controversial, because we're used to athletes constantly invoking God and thanking God. And I just think, as Patton refers to, it's just he takes it so much Further. This is a guy who's not just talking the talk, but is really walking the walk. I mean, it's mm. extremely moving. Someone who's rich, famous, successful, and is um, so invested in giving it back. He reaches out to sick people, yeah. to handicapped people. How many times have you seen work? guys hit uh, home runs? They, they bless themselves, right. you know, look upstairs right. like that, right? right? And the other thing, I don't know why people care that he occasionally takes a knee and quietly prays to God when on every Sunday, you have receivers making a catch and celebrating like they've won the Super Bowl. Yeah, true. And these ridiculous uh, um, dances in the end zone. So it doesn't seem uh, the least bit intrusive oh. for someone occasionally to pray. Patton, last word. Yeah, I, I think that anything, anyone who's seeing him taking on the sideline and thanking Jesus in press conferences and taking that as the full extent of uh, the way he wants to express his faith isn't paying attention. I mean, this guy at every opportunity uh, tries to talk about other people, his concern for term terminally ill kids that he hangs out mm -hmm. with every week, his concern for his teammates, you know, his leadership ability. I mean, those are the things that I think really make up the content of his faith. And uh, so it's not worth getting hung up on his, right. his faith gestures on the field. Guys, good to see you. Thanks so much for being with us. Rich, good Thanks, to see Sean. you. Take, Take care. And that is... Okay, so that was Hannity. And I, I thought Hannity had did a good job of kind of summarizing this and bringing a couple other guys in to kind of talk about what's going on there. Now, uh, I'm going to read to you a, a recent uh, post at GetReligion.org by Molly Ziegler Hemingway, who's also a... She's a fellow uh, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod uh, you know, member. And, uh, and, you know, she's, you know, written about this and, you know, she writes, you know, the religion in the news is her beat. So she writes, she says, I, she by the way, the name of the article is, do you believe in Tebow? Good question. So she says, I bleed orange and blue, which means that I'm having a great year. My Denver Broncos, who were completely out of the running just a few games in, somehow managed to tie for first place in the AFC West last week. And this week, yes, I am a key com <laughs> I'm a key component of the team's success. <laughs> she used the all-inclusive we. She says, uh, we had another amazing win in overtime to get first place on our own. I had already psychologically prepared for this week's loss. We were behind 10 to 0 with just minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. Un 
unbelievable. I was fine with the Broncos picking Kyle Orton over Tim Tebow as a starting quarterback earlier this year, but I think everyone agrees that the decision to hand the reins over to Tebow has made for some fun football. Fun, heart attack-inducing football. Week after week, Tebow pulls off some improbable come-from-behind scenario to send the game into overtime or winning in the last minutes. But the weirdest thing of all about Tebow is how so many of his lovers and loathers are basing their feelings about him on his religious persona. I just like him because he wins, but apparently I'm in the minority. This weekend, we saw tons of coverage of Tebow, and much of it was focused on religion. There was an article in the Christian Science Monitor. Frank Bruni in the New York Times wrote a good column uh, and uh, ending with a lamer than lame kicker, and uh, here's and then Salon.com had a uh, article entitled "Hallelujah: The Liberal Case for Tim Tebow." And last week, uh, Grantland had Chuck Klosterman's analysis of Tebow haters. And since we're linking things here, by the way, she links to all of these. Um, there, there's a nice non-religiony think piece from last month on what Tebow demonstrates about changes in the NFL. Molly then writes, she says, as I'm typing, Bob Costas is featuring Tebow mania for his monologue. Now, I may be a tad biased, but uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah Pullum Bailey's uh, Tebow Christianity Today Q&A from the summer is still a good read. And so she puts a link to that there also. She says, but the piece that I rather enjoyed from this weekend and would recommend for anyone hoping to learn exactly why Tebow is loved and loathed during... Uh, during play and after is an excerpt from Patton Dodd's ebook, The Tebow Mystique, The Faith and Fans of Football's Most Polarizing Player. That ebook has been getting a bunch of buzz recently, and the Wall Street Journal uh, featured a bit from it on the front page of the review section for its Saturday essay, Tim Tebow, God's Quarterback, discusses how he has led the Denver Broncos to one improbable victory after another, defying his critics and revealing the deep-seated anxiety in American society about the intertwining of religion and sports. After describing one of the various improbable victories, we learn, quote, and when the shouting was over, Mr. Tebow did what he always does. He pointed skyward, took a knee in prayer. In post-game interviews, the young quarterback often starts by saying, First, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and ends with God bless. He stresses that football is just a game and that God doesn't care who wins or loses. This combination of candid piety and improbable success on the field has made Mr. Tebow the most discussed phenomenon of the National Football League season. Since I'm an expat living on the East Coast, yesterday was the first game I had gotten to see instead of listen to on a live stream of KOA 850. Uh, remind me to tell you the uh, fun and delightful story about how Comcast failed to fix my cable for day after sun, uh, day surrounding the Monday night game featuring the Broncos last month. <laughs> Apparently that didn't go so well for Molly. She says, if you uh, watched the post game yesterday, you saw Tebow do exactly these things in his interview. The article discusses how sports and religion mingle regularly and how various players acknowledge their faith during or after games. But Tebow, we're told, has never been content to leave his evangelical faith on the field. We are reminded 
of that Focus on the Family pro-life ad that ran during the Super Bowl last year. The ad takes the softest possible approach to the subject and never even uses the terms abortion or pro-life. But its intent was clear, and it generated controversy. Since then, feelings about Mr. Tebow have been a litmus test of political and social identity. If you think he's destined to be a winner, you must be a naive evangelical. If you question his long-term chances as an NFL quarterback, you must hate people who love Jesus. You see, that's (laughs) weird how it's become that, but I think Molly's got a point there. Um... She then writes, I only I only feel safe saying this as a diehard Broncos fan who loves Tebow, but these stereotypes have a basis, of course. Uh, they also don't capture the entire range of thought, which we get on uh, get to later in the piece. Anyway, the piece gives some fascinating history about how basketball, volleyball, and other sports were invented by Christians and a bit about the religious motivation that led to that. One of the underreported features of Tebow's popularity is that it's nice for parents to be able to point to an athlete who's not flaunting immorality in his day-to-day life. Thank God for that, man. The piece gets into that, uh, noting that career threats of defective character, to wit, uh, more recently we've been uh, we've seen the disrupted careers of star athletes like Michael Vick. Plaxico Burris and Tiger Woods, men whose lives in professional sports have been undermined by character faults. Such stories are more common than we realize. For every Michael Orr, uh, Mr. Lewis, uh, Mr. Lewis's subject in The Blind Side, who overcomes harsh beginnings and makes it, there are many other promising athletes who are overcome by their own worst impulses. They lose, the game loses, and then fans lose. And we get a look at the other side of the coin. Folks like Josh Hamilton, Tony Dungy, who have support in religious communities, Dodd argues that many critics are driven crazy by the equanimity and generosity that his faith inspires in him. We are reminded of his mercy and missionary work and given several anecdotes and data points. Listen to this. Quote, Mr. Tebow's acts of goodwill have often been more intimate. In December 2009, he attended a college football awards ceremony in Lake Buena Vista, Florida. The night before, at another gala at Walt Disney World's resort, he met a 20-year-old college football fan named Kelly uh, Fonin, a brain tumor victim who suffers from hearing loss and visible continual tremors she was wearing a button that says i love timmy someone noticed and made sure that the young woman had a chance to meet the player mr tebow spent a long while with mrs fawnan and her family and asked her if she'd like to be his date for the award ceremony the following night she agreed and the scene of mr tebow escorting the trembling young woman down the red carpet led much of the reporting about the event. The piece looks at sites that highlight, if not kid about, Tebow piety. There's the obligatory reference to Tebowing, and I loved learning that the Internet mem was started by a Jewish Broncos fan and that support for the site has come from rabbis who are pleased that prayer in public 
is being treated favorably. I also loved the mention of a young boy who Tebowed with an IV attached to his arm, Tebowing while chemoing. Also, if you haven't checked out the site lately, uh, there are some recent Tebowing pictures uploaded from wedding guests in front of a wedding cake to an airline pilot in front of his plane. The discussion of Tebow's eye black actually quotes various scripture verses, including Philippians 4, 6-7, through 7, which reads in part, And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. There's actually a really interesting graphic where three of the many eye black verses are explained. I like the graphic. The graphic accurately used the word gospel. I did read one complaint on Twitter from Andy Crouch, quote, I'm nearly sure Tim Tebow does not read the KJV. Why do national media keep quoting from it rather than a neutral modern translation? Molly then continues, I'm not entirely sure we know what translations a given Christian might read in their home, but I'm interested in the view that the King James Version is somehow less neutral than another translation. I frequently use the King James or the New King James when quoting scripture in my writing, even though it's not primarily what I use in my home or church. Not to mention that the particular verses quoted above are quite readable for having been translated centuries ago. The final part I want to highlight from the piece was a discussion of hypocrisy. I have this friend who is a very up, who's very upfront about his cynicism. He openly roots for both the New England Patriots and Tebow's eventual moral downfall. The article addresses this phenomenon and how we are all better able to handle moral failure than trust in anyone's goodness. The essay does a nice job of hitting many elements and giving a solid overview of Tebow's phenomenon and the religious angles. Then Molly writes, go Broncos. <laughs> so I think that's a good, you know, an intro to what's going on. And if you didn't uh, read the piece in the Washington, uh, in, um, Wall Street Journal, you can find it online there. Now, all of that is to kind of lead in to show you how the negative media is starting to kind of roll in. Here's the opening from Frank Bruni's uh, op-ed piece from the New York Times that Molly had uh, mentioned in passing in her article. Frank Bruni writes, he says, Can God take credit for the victories of a thick-set NFL quarterback who scrambles in a weirdly jittery fashion, throws one of the ugliest balls in the game, completes fewer than half of his passes, and has somehow won six of his team's last seven games? Hilarious. Anyway, that's a question that actually hovers over the miraculous success of Denver Broncos quarterback Tim Tebow. And at this blessed juncture, it's a silly one because the answer is unequivocal. Yes, Tebow is powered by conviction and operating on faith, and so are the teammates he's leading. And you needn't be an evangelical Christian as he is, a seriously religious person or even a football fan, to be transfixed and enlightened by his example. I speak as a football fan only when I say the following, which I never expected to. The Mile High Messiah has a gospel for us all. Now, you're most likely familiar with this story, but just in case, the Broncos were 1-4 when the coaches benched the first-string quarterback and started Tebow, and there was a sense that they did so because they'd lost hope for the season and figured that they might as well silence the, his pesky, persistent advocates by letting him try and watching him fail. Although he had been a superstar at the University of Florida, his physique and style of play weren't supposed to translate to the pros. 
That at least was the conventional wisdom. And as a lifelong Broncos loyalist with a knot in my stomach, I shared it. Tebow won his first game despite a 15-point deficit with three minutes to go. He won all but one of the next six off. Uh, often in squeaker finishes involving late comebacks. The Broncos are now 7-5 and five and have a good shot at the playoffs, especially if they knock off the Chicago Bears, which I think they did. Uh, they're favored to do precisely that, partly because the Bears' starting quarterback, Jay Cutler, is out with a bum thumb. During a conference call with the reporters last week, Tebow was actually asked by a Chicago scribe to pray for, <laughs> for the woebegone digit. <laughs> Which brings us back to religion. With Tebow, there's no getting away from it. He uses the microphones thrust in front of him to mention his personal savior, Jesus Christ, and has, and has said that heaven is reserved for devout Christians. He genuflects so publicly and frequently that to drop to one knee in the precise way in which he does has been given his own word along with his own website where you can see photographs of people T-bowing inside of St. Peter's in front of the Taj Mahal on sand and ice and then even underwater. That zeal doesn't go over so well with many football fans, uh, including me. Tebow performs a sort of self-righteous bait-and-switch. You come for scrimmages, and he subjects you to scriptures. With And the displeasure with that is also writ colorfully, on the web, in Tebow ridiculing Twitter feeds and Facebook pages, one devoted entirely to snapshots to the time of Tebow in tears, an emotional man, he has traveled a weepy path to this point. But the incessant derision strikes me as unwarranted, and that it, out, it outdoes anything directed at, say, Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger who has been accused repeatedly of sexual assault or other players actually convicted of burglary, gun possession, and other crimes. In a league full of blithe felons, Tebow and his oppressive piety don't seem like such horrendous affronts at all. Besides, which to get lost in the nature of Christianity is to miss the ecumenical, secular epiphanies in his and the Broncos' extraordinary season. Their sudden turnaround isn't just thrilling, it illustrates the limits of logic and the shortcomings of most quickly made measurements and widely cited metrics. Anyway, you get the point of what's going on here. So everybody's paying attention. The guy's made a statement, okay? And it's not just Tebow, the miraculous quarterback, but it's Tebow who's you know made a splash in such a way that everyone's paying attention to him. Which then leads to this article, which, by the way, has its origins in TMZ, which is a Hollywood gossip website. But the headline reads, Tim Tebow's pastor attributes wins to God's favor. Yikes, we got a problem here. Um, this is by Mark Florio from uh, the uh, NBC Sports uh, Pro Football Talk uh, website with the Broncos winning six straight games and seven of eight under the leadership of Tim Tebow. One of Tebow's pastors in Colorado has spoken to TMZ about the situation. Let's repeat that. A Colorado pastor has spoken to TMZ about Tim Tebow. Maybe that should be the headline. Quote, it's not luck, Wayne Hansen of Summit Church in Colorado told TMZ. Luck isn't winning six games in a row. It's favor. It's God's favor. So, you know, 
Now we got a problem. See, see this. See, this is the. This is what causes problems here. We've got a problem here, and it's at this point Wayne Hansen, uh, uh, Tebow's pastor. Okay, really. So this is God's favor. Tebow is quoted regularly in the media as saying that God doesn't care who wins or loses in football. It's just a game. And now we got Wayne Hansen saying this is God's favor. So now we get you know, favor. Really, uh, did he earn this? By doing good works? Now, I have no problem saying God is sovereign. That God has given, has basically opened the door for this guy to preach the word. Okay, No problem with, with saying that. But we got to be careful when we start talking about the category of God's favor because now it, that's beginning to sound like he's done something to earn this. So uh, then the cynicism begins. And... Um, the uh, the question comes up, so does God favor Aaron Rodgers th- three times as much? That would be the um, quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. After all, the Packers have won 19 in a row now. See, that's the perfect logical question. So we got a problem here. So Hansen also attributes the victories to Tebow's faith. Asked if Tebow would be playing so well if he weren't a believer. Hansen said, of course not. Man, bad, bad, bad theology. You do realize, uh, Pastor Hansen, that um, Tiger Woods was number one in the world as a Buddhist, and not only that, a philandering Buddhist. Furthermore, I, I grew up in the day when uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was playing for the Lakers. Kareem converted to Islam, and he was a fantastic player. Man, I remember Chick Hearn, you know, Waxing eloquent and just you know, literally jumping out of his seat as an announcer every time Kareem would get a three-pointer using the patented Kareem Abdul-Jabbar skyhook. Should we assume that uh, that the reason why Kareem was doing so well as a as a basketball player and the Lakers were winning so much was because of Allah's favor? And while we're talking about Kareem, don't forget, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, and Muhammad Ali, the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. A lot of success as a boxer, as a Muslim boxer. You you, you see, here's the problem. When you start putting out this kind of theology, it's actually an argument for polytheism because you'll find on this side of Christ's return, there are people who succeed in all kinds of religions. There are successful Buddhists. There are successful Muslims. There are successful Roman Catholics. There are successful Lutherans. There are successful evangelicals. That's not, you know, So success doesn't indicate whether or not you have God's favor or not. So, yeah, we got a problem here. This is some bad, bad theology. And... um. It's this is coming from Tebow's pastor, so where there's smoke, there might be fire. You got to be careful here. So, the uh, article then goes on to write: the notion that God's favor becomes a factor in sporting events it implies that God favors those who win and ignores those who lose. That's correct, and that's why I'm always reluctant to suggest that winning and losing has any correlation to the will of God. There are good men and bad men on every team: believers and non-believers, saints and sinners. But it remains God's prerogative to act in whatever manner he chooses. Some would regard the mere fact that the issue has received so much attention as a sign that God is nudging Tebow toward a 
high degree of success as a way of getting more of us to talk about God and whether and whether and what extent there may be a little angels in the outfield dynamic going on in Denver. Like the Madden curse, at some point the buzz can influence behavior, which possibly helps the Broncos win more games by causing Denver's opponents to assume that some master plan ultimately will overcome whatever skills and talents they otherwise bring to the field of play. So there's the first hint that something may not quite be right. And it comes from Tebow's pastor, Wayne Hansen of the Summit Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. Now, which then, if you do a little bit of searching, you'll look through the, you, know, you find the website. If you were to go to Google, uh, Google the website, uh, I just type in Wayne Hansen of Summit Church and up comes summitchurchonline.org. And what you find out about the Summit Church is that this is a church that uh, the pastor is kind of a seeker-driven, attractional Pentecostal type. And um, there's some issues there. There's some serious issues. And if you were to look through their statement of faith, you would find that there's some troubling doctrines there, especially as it pertains to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the idea of healing the sick, um, that it begins to get a little word faithy. Um, so we got, there's some issues here. And so I would come back again to my admonition that the apostle Paul gave to young Timothy, and that is keep a close watch on your life and your doctrine. Persist in this. Okay. So now, so that's the first hint that there's something wrong, but then there's some other hints that there's that there may be something askew in Tim Tebow's theology, and I thought I would let Tim Tebow do the talking himself here, okay? And so I'm going to play for you two things. Uh, first is from an interview from First Redeemer Church. I think they're near Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, which uh, I think took place near the 4th of July this past year. And I'm going to play it and comment accordingly. It's in two pieces, but uh, you'll you'll get what's going on here. The pastor there at uh, First Redeemer uh, had invited Tebow to come out for an interview at the church. Um, it's a little bit more of a traditional church. People are in suits and ties. They have choir, a choir with choir robes. And you have to hear it all the way through in order to um, see what's going on here. So uh, he, he, here's the uh, the interview uh, with Tim Tebow from First Redeemer Church. Here we go. Tim Tebow was born in the Philippines, where his parents were serving as missionaries. He and his siblings were all homeschooled and raised in a strong Christian home. As early as Little League football, friends and families saw something very special in Tim's athletic ability and his love of the game. Because Florida law allowed homeschool students to compete in public high school sports, Tim was able to play quarterback at Nice High School. Okay, uh, can you detect what the problem is yet? This is a church service. This is during the sermon time, and we're hearing a lot about Tim Tebow. That's the problem right there. We should hear, be hearing a lot about Jesus Christ and this is where it gets to be a problem. When the celebrity overshadows Jesus. At 6'3 and 225 pounds, Tim led the Nice Panthers to the state championship and finished his high school career with 95 passing and 62 rushing touchdowns. 
can I make a point here? Another one. And that is, is when we listen to Bob Tebow's sermon that he preached at the Summit Church, uh, did Bob spend his time talking about his son or Jesus Christ? He spent his time talking about Jesus Christ, law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance, forgiveness of sins. After being heavily recruited by many major schools, Tim chose to play football for the University of Florida under Coach Urban Meyer. Over the next four years, Tim broke many NCAA, SEC, and school records. He led the Gators to two national championships and became the first underclassman to win the Heisman Trophy, winning it in his sophomore year. During spring breaks and off times, Tim continued to travel on mission trips overseas, where he was able to speak to children about his loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Tim's trademark Bible verses, which he wore under his eyes during games, showed his commitment to God. Tim was drafted by the Denver Broncos in the first round of the 2010 NFL Draft, and he begins his career as a professional football player this season. Join me in welcoming Tim Tebow. Come on, Tim. Wow, this is the third time this morning we've been together. I, I want you to know that it's been a busy day, but... Uh, if it's for Jesus, that's all right. Isn't it? Absolutely, it's okay. You know, I uh, I've never seen such orange around here in my life. Normally, it's <laughs> it's red and black or it's yellow, you know, for Georgia Tech and so forth. But it's just orange everywhere on this campus. I know it is. It's, it's looking a little bit better in that red and black, though. So uh, I like it. You know, you may need an arm security. So we begin with the obligatory football reference, uh, highlighting. You know, cross-state college rivalries. <laughs> and here, that's actually kind of the problem. This is sermon time. All right. But, uh, you know, it's amazing how, how people become such fans of football. Isn't it? I guess you see that. I remember seeing you at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington. And, uh, folks, here's the scene. Hillary Clinton's over here. There are four people trying to see her. Uh, Obama and Mrs. Obama are back here. There's a dozen people trying to get by their guards. And here is Tim Tebow and a thousand people trying to touch him. <laughs> That's the pastor telling that story. This is, again, kind of weirding me out at this point because this stands in stark contrast to the gospel that we heard Bob Tebow preach. Um... Yeah, uh, it just, it, uh-huh, sermon time. Now, if I was a member of First Redeemer, um, I'd be pretty upset at this point because church isn't celebrity interview time. And the sermon time in the church service isn't celebrity interview time either. This is the time we need to open up God's Word and be fed God's Word and to hear about Jesus Christ, who is the savior of Tim Tebow, which means Jesus is far more important than Tim Tebow. Yeah, dare I say it, I, due to the fact that Jesus is um, our God, 
I think he could probably be a better QB than uh, Tim Tebow. But see, God doesn't care who wins or loses. So we, this see, this is the problem. The setup itself is showing us where the issue is. Oh, Tim, but we're delighted to have you today. I feel good to be in uh, Bulldog and, and uh, a jacket country. It actually does. It feels very good. You know, when you asked me to come speak, I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, you know, it's in Atlanta. Atlanta's in Georgia. I was like... It's okay. We never really had any problems with Georgia, so. <laughs> A nice little cross-state jab there. Um, this is sermon time. <laughs> Sometimes the truth hurts, my brother. <laughs> it really does. You know, uh, uh, one of the great things that uh, people who know about you know is that God blessed you to be born into a wonderful family, didn't he? He sure did. Uh, he really did. You know, I was uh, I was born in the Philippines uh, to missionary parents, um, and I was the baby of five. I have uh, two older brothers and two older sisters, and we're extremely close. And okay, remember, this is sermon time. Who's he talking about right now? And, um, you know, I was blessed because I just have the best parents in the world, and, um, you know, for me, um, being able to have a role model like my dad... Uh, to look up to, not because of what he said, but because of what he did mm -hmm. and the actions that he lived out in front of me every day. Not because of what he said, but because of what he did. After what I heard Bob Tebow preach, how much you want to bet it was both? It's both his doctrine and his life. So a statement like that is a little worrying. Um, of how to be a man, of how to treat your wife, of how to live out what you preach how to be passionate about something, how to make a difference in this world. And I was truly blessed to have two wonderful parents. How to make a difference in this world. Where did that come from? Sounds like uh, he's been reading The Purpose Driven Life. Yeah, you know. Which, by the way, he has. I remember, uh, uh, when was it? I guess it was the last Super Bowl that you and your mom were on that ad and uh, people were all... Uh, uh, liberals were hollering about it all around the country and so forth. But God used that for the benefit of the end, didn't he? He did. Um, this past football season, I got asked, um, you know, someone came up to me and, and were, thought of the idea of doing a commercial with me and my mom's story. Um, and, you know, we, I thought about it and I talked to my parents and we decided that, you know, if it can save one baby, it would be worth it. It would be worth all the criticism and it would be worth everything that we'd encounter through it. And um, we decided to do it. So after um, I got done playing college um, football, we filmed the commercial and it was the air on the Super Bowl. And boy, a lot of people hated it and got a lot of criticism and actually... Um, Several different networks created their own commercial to offset this commercial. Um, thank the Lord they didn't have that big an effect. And, you know, it just grew because so many people hated it. And, um, and up to the time the commercial aired, it had already had two billion impressions uh, just from people talking about it. And now today it already has five billion impressions. I can't even count that high. But um, it, was, it was pretty special to see how God used that. And um, they did a survey about three weeks after the commercial aired. And um, that survey said that five and a half million people, uh, because of that, changed their stance on pro-life. Really? Yeah. Five and a half million. Praise God. Okay, uh, that's phenomenal. That's absolutely phenomenal. 
except um this is church time. So yeah, um I'm just having an issue here with the fact that I haven't seen Jesus yet. And you're going, well, this is Tim Tebow. We want to, he's the thing of the moment. Yeah, I know. That's kind of the problem, though, isn't it? Um, I need the forever eternal savior, not the thing of the moment. I'm sure they, this was a great way to market uh, First Redeemer Church, to use this celebrity to get more people to show up there. Okay. But, you know, the purpose of church is for us to hear about Christ and him crucified for our sins. This stands in stark contrast to the sermon that I heard from Bob, his father. Let's continue. You know, it's so unusual sometimes how God works and, and uses people who are, who are available to him. You know, the marvelous thing about it is, Tim, I think you would agree that any of us can be used by God if we just yield ourselves to him. Absolutely. Um, you know, God has a special plan for each person. He has a special plan for your life. Ouch, 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 ouch. Okay, yeah, this um, this sounds eerily like the seeker-driven gospel or an influ- inf- something influenced by it. God has a special plan for your life. You know, God has a poem written out for you and written out for me. And it's our job and it should be our goal to follow that poem, follow God's plan for our life. Because regardless whether you think it or not, that's the best way to live. Because that's where you're going to find true satisfaction and a life of significance is when you're following God's plan for your life. Okay, this sounds like it's more influenced by Rick Warren's theology than the theology I heard from his father. In fact, this kind of stands in stark contrast. This is all chasing after works. And this, I haven't heard anything about faith, real true faith in a crucified and risen Savior. Now, it'll come up, I'm sure, but this is an interesting lead-off. And it shows that, you know, on top of his father having an influence on him theologically, Tim Tebow is obviously a product of evangelical, popular American evangelicalism. And uh, and the stuff that's been published in the past decade, and you know, I hmm, yeah, okay. And it may not be to be a professional football player. It may be something, whatever it is. But God has a plan for your life, and at the end of the day, that will be what is truly satisfying and what's true fulfillment in your life. Yeah. One of the unique things is that God, an all-knowing God has given us all various abilities and spiritual gifts, and he's placed us all where we can all be just as effective for his, his, his ministry and for his son as the next person. And that, therefore, all of us have the chance as believers. And that's the one of... Can I just challenge that? If he really believed that, then why isn't he interviewing just some, you know, stay-at-home mom? Why is he interviewing Tim Tebow? message of the gospel that we all can be used by God and we can all- whoa 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 hang on a second I gotta back this up because I want you to hear it in context God an all-knowing God has given us all various abilities and spiritual gifts and he's placed us all where we can all be just as effective for his his, his ministry and for his son as the next person 
And that, therefore, all of us have the chance as believers. And that's the wonderful message of the gospel, that we all can be used by God. And we can all be, uh, uh, how can I say, we can all be just as instrumental. As that's not the gospel. The gospel is not the good news that we can be used by God. Now, remember during the sermon review, I, I you know, I, I, I kind of pointed this out in Bob's sermon, that there was something there. And I just wonder if this is what's kind of under the hood with this particular theology this pastor's talking about here. The gospel is not the good news that God can use you for anything or whatever. That's not the good news. That's God using you as an ambassador of his kingdom is something that's the result of the gospel. The gospel is exclusively the good news that Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again for your justification on the third day, bodily from the grave. Okay, um, And so uh, at this point, things have kind of taken a strange turn. Now, I don't know if it's the format. I don't know if Tim Tebow is just being polite in, in answering the questions, the way they're framed and stuff like that. I don't know if this really truly is a good reflection on his theology, but I'm hearing him being influenced by what I would think his father would warn us against uh, as some of the false gospels that are being kicked around out there in American evangelicalism. Okay, So, um, yeah, no, the gospel is not the good news that God can use you. Anybody else? Absolutely. And so, you know, sometimes when people think that there are, uh, there are preachers that are that are, are, are very, very special, or their ball players very, very special. Those things, we're thankful for those things. But the f bottom line is, they're very, very special, too, equal to anybody else. That's, a, that's exactly right. You know, whatever position God puts you in, He puts you there for a reason. And, you know, you may not be able to, to go on TV, or you may not be a preacher, um, but you can still influence people for Jesus Christ. You see? Okay, yeah, you, you know, serve God in the vocation he's put you in, and preach the gospel every opportunity you get. That's not, not nothing wrong with that. God just gives us all a different platform. He gave me the opportunity to play football, and that is my mission field. He gave each one of us a different mission field, but it doesn't mean that it's not as significant and one's better than the other. It just means that they're different. And for me, you know, I look at my life and being a football player, I look at that as being a missionary to the game of football and to the players of football and you know the platform that football has given me to to be able to walk into a, a hospital and make a kid smile to be able to sign an audio okay, gotta point this out at this point he's still talking about himself he's not talking about christ whereas his father was talking almost exclusively about jesus and when he was talking about us he was talking about how sinful we are <sighs> and to be able to share my faith and to be able to, to wear scripture under my eyes and do things like that. You know, it truly is a blessing and influence someone's life if you just take advantage of it. Tell us, you know, I was talking about wearing the scripture under your eyes. When did you, that come about? How did you start that? And did you ever hear anybody talk to you about it? <laughs> yeah, a lot of people talk to you about it. Um, I think it was my third game, my junior year, um, I was getting ready to, I was thinking, deciding whether I was going to put on like the, the like eye mascara type stuff that you put in your eyes so you can see better, or you put on the strips. And I was like, I was thinking, I'm probably going to go with the strips. And I was like, you know what, maybe if I like took a shark, I could ride in there and 
like maybe write something personal and someone would notice it might be able to affect someone's life. So I was like, you know what? First thing came in my head, uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I was like, all right, perfect. I'm going to put it on there. So I put, you know, Phil and 4.13 in this one. I was like, all right, cool. So I put it on there for a third game season and then wore it every game. And um, it just kind of, people just, I don't know, it just grew. And it's more and more people started to notice and then it's, started to write, you know, different articles about it, and then it just grew and grew and grew, and, and then I kept getting asked about it every time I'd have a press conference or anything, and so then we played SEC, uh, Alabama for the SEC championship, and we won a real national championship, and I was thinking, you know, about three days before the, na- the national championship, you know, God really put it on my heart to change it. I had had Philippians 4.13 all year, and I was just, you know, I was like, this is a great verse, you know, why do you want me to change? Notice that uh, God put it on his heart, so, you know, we've got kind of that thing going on. I was just like, I don't think, you know, I think I, I felt God telling me to change, but I was like, I don't know. And so then I was like, all right, I think I'm going to change, but what do you want me to put on there? And immediately um, God put on my heart, John three sixteen, because that is the essence of Christianity. And, um, and so I went up. Uh, uh, John three sixteen because it's the essence of Christianity. And he's right. Yeah. For God so loved the world. Right, this is two days before we played the game. Now I went up to my parents' hotel room and I was like, Mom, Dad, I think I'm going to change the verse under my eyes for this game. And they were like, great, that's wonderful. What are you going to go with? I was like, John 3.16. They're like, all right, great. So I was like, I'm going to go tell Coach Meyer. So I go down and I go tell Coach Meyer. And Coach Meyer was like, Timmy, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Philippians 4.13 is the awesome verse and it got us the national championship. Like, <laughs> You better put Philippians 4.13 in your eyes. I was like, Coach, trust me, it's it's the right thing for this game. And he was like, well, if you think so, you can do it. And so then I told my brother and everybody was like, oh, that's great. And then all the players were like, are you sure? Like, <laughs> And so, you know, it was totally a God thing. I, I put John 3.16 in my eyes and, and didn't think about it again. Um, and two days later, I was sitting down with lunch with my mom and my dad and Coach Meyer deciding if I was going to come back for my senior year or not. And um, Coach Meyer got a call, and he hung up, and he said, Timmy, you know the verse you want to rise, John 3.16? I said, yes, sir. He was like, do you know within 24 hours of that game being aired, 94 million people Google John 3.16? My, praise God for that. Hmm. Okay, so, yeah, um, here's, uh, and by the way, this was on the 4th of July. All right, so he, here's the reason why I'm not very thrilled with this. Okay, now, gr- granted, the idea that 94 million people Googled John 3.16 um, is fantastic. That means 94 million people read the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I'm very thankful for that. Now, I'm going to point something out, and I want to do this by way of contrast, okay? One of the things that really touched me and moved me in Molly Ziegler Hemingway's article about Tim Tebow was that gracious and beautiful act that he did of kindness to that girl who had the brain tumors, asked her if she would be his date uh, for that award ceremony the following night. I mean, that is just an amazing story. And it shows great, great character. Okay? Let me tell you what would have been 
more profound, even a, a more beautiful thing to have happen at First Redeemer Church than an interview with Tim Tebow and a sit-down talk about the things that he's done. It would have been if they had put the pulpit up and Tim Tebow brought his Bible, put it on the pulpit, and said, I'm not here to talk about myself. I'm here to share God's word with you. Please open to Romans chapter 3. And then exegete the passage the way his father did. That would have said more. That would have spoken more volumes about Jesus Christ than the stories that Tim is telling about himself. And that's the thing that's kind of bugging me here. Okay? Because if it's all about Jesus and God doesn't care about football and all this kind of stuff, then show us that by getting out of the way and preaching Christ. It is, after all, a Sunday. This is, after all, a church service. This is, after all, the sermon time. And that's the, that's the thing, is that the temptation with celebrity, the temptation with celebrity is to begin to believe it or to cater to it or to make compromises to it. And unfortunately, I see this as a compromise, not as a good thing. Tim Tebow, out of anybody, should understand that church time is sacred time, that the body of Christ has very important business to do, and that has to do with listening to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the things that he did. Now, there's a time and a place for Tim Tebow to share these stories. There really is. I just seriously doubt that that time is during a church service during the sermon time. And that's the thing, okay? I'm not questioning his faith. I'm not questioning the gospel that he's preaching, although there's some things here that make me wonder if there's a problem theologically. But I see this actually as a moral compromise. A moral compromise that's so easy to make. It is so easy to make. And I, I, I want to put the best construction on it and say, he's young. He's young. All of this fame has hit him so quickly that maybe he hasn't had time to think it through. But again... The thing that would have made the better impact is for him to open up the scriptures and not talk anything about himself. Not say a word about Tim Tebow. But instead, preach Christ. Let's finish. Amazing how God can take that which we think is little. It, it really is, and it's something that I would never thought would have gotten that attention. It's just something little I put in my eyes, but you know, I was just trying to be obedient to God and listen to Him and whatever He put on my heart, trying to do. And it's not even like I knew exactly what I was doing. I was just trying right. to do the right thing. 
What's the laws of fishes? If we could commit them to him. Yes, sir. You know, he's going to he's going to take them, multiply them, use them for the glory of his son. Tell me, Tim, uh, when was it in your life that you gave your heart to Christ? I was a boy uh, when I gave my life to Christ. Um, I actually, I had talked to my, I had been going to church, I had talked to my parents and stuff, and I was like, I'm just not ready to do it, I don't want to do it. Okay, now you're going to hear in this, uh, flat out, decision theology. Now, the question is, what exactly has he been taught regarding uh, the sinful nature of humanity? Because I think somebody can make an argument based upon his father's theology that there is an understanding in what Tim Tebow is saying here that demonstrates that this decision that he thinks that you need to make is not a work that we do. So um, I, I, I would have to ask clarifying questions, but this is you're going to hear decision theology here. And, you know, the question is, what brand is this? Answer, I don't exactly know, but listen. I don't want to do it. And then one night, um, I was lying in my bed, and I was scared. I was scared if something happened to me the next day, I was going to die and go to hell. Um, it really wasn't. So the next day, I got up, and my brothers and uh, my dad were outside working. And I grabbed my mom, and I was like, I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart because I know that I'm a sinner, and I know if something happened to me, I'm not going to heaven. Right. And so I got. So he knows he's a sinner. He knows he's deserved God's judgment, and he knows Jesus is where he needs to go for forgiveness. All great things. Down on my knees right there on the couch, and I prayed with my mom. And um, So that was his first T-bowing incident, by the way. I asked Jesus to come into my heart, and right there in that incident, I knew that I had just went from darkness to light. I knew that my eternity was sealed in heaven um, by putting my trust in Jesus Christ in that instant. And um, never and he had made me 100% sure of salvation. Yeah, he never had to fear one of the great things. So there you're hearing you're hearing the gospel again, at least in very compressed form. And I think to better fully understand it, you have to you have to listen to it through the lens of his father's theology. But you know, it's not only just the fear of eternity, it's the fear of life itself. Uh, I you know, my heart really goes out. I've mentioned this several times today because it's a passion of my heart. It goes out to people who are involved in religion and not Christianity. Religion can be a terrible thing. Yep. Because religion is, is a man-made thing. Yes, it is. Christianity is a God-made thing. You know, where, where we serve a, a living Savior that promised us hope and joy and abundant life, forgiveness, hmm. and Tim, is anything I need in my life is forgiveness. Yes, yeah, sir. right on. He offered us forgiveness when we blow it, when we, when we err in our way, take, a, take the guilt away, take the fear of eternity away. Right, so now we're talking about the gospel in light of sin and judgment. I'm happy to hear this. You know, I don't see anybody else could choose anything different. I will sometimes, when I'm sharing Christ with somebody, I'll say to them, okay, let me ask you, what do you have that's better? And I've never had anybody able to tell me anything that's better. And the great thing is it's a... All right, so that was Tim Tebow's appearance at First Redeemer Church out there in Georgia. Obviously, there were some things he said that just made me go, hmm. Now, I don't have the audio from his prison speech. It's just so hard to work with. But I found a, uh, a I found audio of Tim Tebow discussing his prison ministry 
at the Colson Center, and and this is uh, the the uh, Prison Fellowship uh, Group. And I got to tell you, Tim Tebow makes no bones about the fact that uh, he visits prisons often to preach the gospel. <laughs> Would that we were all like Tim Tebow. But uh, listen carefully to what he says or said here. Uh, at the Colson Center regarding uh, going and sharing the gospel with prisoners because you'll get a little bit of a picture uh, of what it is that he preaches to uh, inmates when he has an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Here we go. You know, a lot of you, you probably know me as a football player and someone who gets very intense and very passionate about what I do and playing football on the field. If you've ever been with me in a prison, you know that it's ten times more. I'm so passionate about sharing in prisons and sharing with inmates. And I think that is, that's something that God has given me, and that's because I can translate that from the football field. When I walk into a prison, all these, all these inmates and all these people, that they would recognize themselves as hard. They're hard guys. You know, they, they, you know, my dad or a lot of other people can go in there, chaplains, and they don't listen to them. They don't care. That's another preacher coming in here to share with them. But, you know, when I walk in there, there's, there's that football player. There's that, that, there's that runner, that hard dude. He's coming in here to preach with them. He's coming in here to share with me. So they all get around, and you, you hear the guys, they're bickering and, and stuff, and the Florida fans and the Florida State fans and the Miami fans and the Tennessee fans. But by the end of it, there's either a fight, there's an argument, the guards have to break it up because that's how much they care about it. And so then they, you know, they have a choice to come listen to you if you want because you're just in the yard preaching to them. And so you know, most of the time, all of them come, at least 90%. And they'll sit there, and the guys who really care, they'll make the rest of the guys they'll be like, stop doing push-ups, stop playing basketball, come over here and listen to them. And so they'll all sit there and they'll listen to me. And I have an opportunity to share my faith with these guys just because I play the game of football. And I believe that's why Jesus has given me the platform to play football. And that's what I want to do with the rest of my life is not play football. Football is, an, uh, is a means to an end for me. But sharing the love of Christ, that is, that is the end. That is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So you can share with these inmates about how, you know what? I have what a lot of you want. I do. I have what you want. Famous. There's people that like me. You know, I'm going to be able to make money. I'm going to, I have success. Two national championships and a Heisman. You want that. But what you want more than that is you want to know when you die that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. And you don't know that right now. So his lead-in is about uh, they, he has what they want, success. And then he says what they, what they really want is eternal life. You say, you might be in here the rest of your life. You might be in prison for the rest of your life. But I'm going to tell you how you can be free inside. You know, because your time here on earth is very, very short. Your time in eternity is forever. Do you know where you're spending eternity? And you'll just see those inmates who they wouldn't even want to talk about anything like that. But then after you say that to them, they'll start crying. They'll start weeping. Because they know they're spending the rest of their life in prison. And they want to know how they can have hope. So we have found so much more uh, success and people coming to know the Lord in prison than any time I've ever spoken out of prison. Because they're ready and they're needy of a Savior. They're needing a reason to have hope. And that's why something like prison fellowship is unbelievable. Because it's giving guys that are, that are ready the opportunity to trust Christ. It's putting that in front of them. And they're people that need hope. They're people that need something in life. Because they have nothing. They actually absolutely have nothing. 
but they can find everything when they find a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why I'm so thankful for you in here, that you're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're willing to put your name on the line and make a difference in these people's lives because it's worth it. Every time, it's worth it. Jesus' word will not return void. It never does, especially in prison. And that is my heart, and that is my passion, is making a difference in prisons, going around the, around the world in prisons. And my favorite is speaking in death row, because those guys absolutely have no hope. So my goal for, for you and for me is that you'll pray with me. You'll pray for me to make a difference around the world, in prisons and with young people all over the world, that I could be the role model to them that Danny Werfel was to me. And thank you for not being ashamed. I appreciate it. Go Gators and God bless. Thank you. All right. So there, there, there's a sampling of uh, Tebow's beliefs with just kind of a preview of what it would sound like if he were preaching in a prison. What does this tell us? Well, he has a generally okay grasp of the concept that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and that it's and that Christianity has something to do about trusting Christ for forgiveness of sins. That being said, there's a little bit of confusion of law and gospel and uh, and kind of some purpose-driven shorthand in his uh presentations which basically you know I come back to what the apostle Paul said. Uh, to Timothy, what guard your life and your doctrine, guard your life and your doctrine. Since Tebow is putting himself out as somebody who is a representative of Christianity and he's using his platform to forward uh, the gospel and advance Christianity and point people to Christ, it's imperative that he, well, guard his doctrine and his life like any other preacher or evangelist would need to. And uh, it's clear that, that you know we, there's a lot we can be happy about, and there's some things that sound off. And, uh, and so Tim Tebow needs to be listened to with discernment just like anybody else. Well, if, I mean, if I could have a conversation with Tim Tebow and people were, you know, if he were to ask me, well, Chris, what would you suggest I do? I would say he needs some good doctrinal theological coaches uh, that, um, well, ha- are show- uh, have been shown to have some discernment in a time like now when there's not a lot of discernment. Uh, guys who would admonish him to be more accurate, to n- not use some of these Christian-y slang terms, and to uh, and to reconsider uh, his, his, the, some of this purpose-driven stuff that it's clear that he's been influenced by, especially in light of God's word. Again, that being the case, I clearly believe the man is our Christian brother, um, and so you know, I, I pray for him. Uh, pray for him because he's a target, and uh, pray for him. He's a sinful human being like you and I are. And, uh, and just, you know, I think that's kind of where we're at with this stuff. So, but because he's, you know, an evangelist, because he's, uh, using his platform to advance Christianity, uh, he's, he even has more responsibility to make sure that his doctrine and his life 
are all lined up, not just his deeds, but also his creeds. So, all right. So uh, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. And, you know, after today's topic, I'd love to get your feedback on anything you heard. Maybe I missed something. Maybe you have a different opinion. I'd love to uh, get your feedback. You can email me. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and the mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious penal substitutionary death on the cross for all of your sins. Repent and be forgiven. Amen. Amen.